Good morning. Um, our scripture reading this morning comes from Proverbs 13, verses 10 to 20, uh, from the New Living Translation Bible. First turn, pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. Wealth from get-rich-quick schemes quickly disappears. Wealth from hard work grows over time. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. People who despise advice are asking for trouble. Those who respect a command will succeed. The instruction of the wise is like a life-giving fountain. Those who accept it avoid the snares of death. A person with good sense is respected. A treacherous person is headed for destruction. Wise people think before they act, fools don't, and even brag about their foolishness. An unreliable messenger stumbles into trouble, but a reliable messenger brings healing. If you ignore criticism, you will end in poverty and disgrace. If you accept correction, you will be honored. It is pleasant to see dreams come true, but fools refuse to turn from evil to attain them. Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Thank you so much, Lorraine, for reading the word to us this morning. And uh, good morning, everyone, friends, and uh, <clears throat> those perhaps who are joining us for the very first time this morning. Uh, we've been We've been involved in a study on relationships and uh, standing together in relationships. And this morning we're just going to shift the emphasis to another foot and talk a little bit about marriage for the next uh, three Sundays. And Corey Anderson is going to come next week and talk a little bit about uh, conflict and dealing in, in marriage and so on. And then Pastor Nord will conclude. <clears throat> and then in the month of June we will be uh, talking about family relationships. Uh, Alan, age nine, had a very astute observation about marriage. He said, uh, the question was, how would you make a marriage work? And Alan said, tell your wife that she looks pretty. I think that's a very clever young man. Tell your wife that she looks pretty. How do you decide who to marry? Well, Bob, age nine, says, you've got to find someone who likes the same stuff. Like if you like sports, she should like it that you like sports, and she should keep the chips and dip coming. <laughs> Kirsten, age 10, said, no person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all way before. And you get to find out later who you're stuck with. <laughs> Not sure if Kirsten's theology certainly eliminates our choosing ability. We can put it all on God. It's God's fault. What is the right age to get married? Camille, age 10, said, 23 is the best age because you know the person forever by then. What do you think your mom and dad have in common? Lori, age eight, says, both don't want any more kids. <laughs> uh, 
What do most people do on a date? Dates are for having fun and people should use them to get to know each other. Even boys have something to say if you listen long enough, <laughs> says Lynette, age eight. Martin says uh, on the first date they should just, they just tell each other lies and that usually gets them interested enough to go for a second date. <laughs> Is it better to be single or married? Anita, age nine, says it's better for girls to be single but not for boys. Boys need someone to clean up after them. <laughs> How do you make love endure? Aaron, age eight, says don't forget your wife's name. Don't forget your wife's name. How do you make love endure? David, age 10, said, be a good kisser. That will make your wife forget that you never take out the garbage. <laughs> oh, those kids are great. They have their observations as they watch us as adults navigate the mysteries of marriage. I'd like to offer some thoughts this morning. Uh, from uh, the Word of God with respect to building bridges in our marriage uh, relationship as husband and wife. And I want to stay up about 10,000 feet this morning, if I could, and just kind of give a broad uh, overlook at some of the uh, basic bridges that we build in developing strong and healthy marriages. Next week with Corey, I think we're going to drop down a couple of thousand feet and, and look a little more specifically at conflict resolution. But this morning, let's just call these thoughts, reminders. Reminders of what is important in building marriage bridges. Uh, the first bridge is perhaps uh, important for us as the Church of Jesus Christ. The first bridge is that singleness and marriage are both on the same level of being normative. And I just, I just uh, want to take the time to say that this morning. Uh, because if you listen to our culture, and you listen to our movies, and you listen to our TV and to our books, you, you get the sense that marriage is the only normal state and singleness is, well, just not having arrived there yet. And where did we ever get that from? Where did we ever get that subtle or perhaps not so subtle uh, stigma that comes in from our culture that, that to be single is not to be in the normal flow of society that, and the world that God has placed us in. Who is the most obvious one to point to that made such a powerful impact on our world, changed our lives, changed our world, and none other than Jesus Christ himself? And we never stop for a moment to consider that he was in the normal flow of acceptance in his society. We just accept that because it's Jesus. It wasn't about being single or it wasn't about being married. It was about mission. And the disciples that he hung out with were probably both single, mostly single, uh, and some were married. We know, for example, that Peter was married. We don't have clear biblical evidence on the rest of the disciples, but I expect that, that more of them were single than were married. And it caught me this week, I wasn't aware until I was reading this week about that 40% of the adults in our country are single. Even for those who marry, singleness makes up a large portion of life, either at the front or the back end of, of life. 
Suppose you're married at the age of 26 and your spouse dies when you were 70 and you live to be 82. You would have been married for 44 years, but you would be single for 38 years. And when I did the calculations for my mother, I was surprised. She was single for 55 years and married for 43 years. Interesting. Yes, she lived a very long life. But she was single for 55 years and married for 43 years. Are those single years less important than the married years? What does the Bible say about a Christian staying single? And it's often misunderstood. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, I wish everyone was single, just as I am. But God gives to some the gift of marriage and to others the gift of singleness. So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. Notice that he says some have the gift of singleness and some have the gift of marriage. Paul, for example, did not have to worry about the extra problems and stresses that come with marriage and with family. He devoted his entire life to spreading the word of God. He probably wouldn't have been such an efficient uh, messenger, ambassador of Christ if he had married. But he had that time, he had that energy, he had that extra uh, energy to, to do what he needed to do. You know the name John Stott. Um, many would say he was the leading Christian thinker, statesman, writer, Bible teacher of the 20th century. In 2005, Time magazine called him one of the hundred most influential people on the planet today. Stott died in 2011. What many people don't know about John Stott is that he never married. Though according to his biography, he came close to it on a couple of occasions. If you could ask how he was able to accomplish so much, he would say that with the responsibility of a family, he could have never written and traveled and ministered in the way that he did. His life was absolutely all about mission. On the other hand, some people do better as a team, serving God as a couple and family. And both kinds of people are equally important. It is not inappropriate or out of the norm to remain single even for your entire life. The most important thing in life is serving God. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 indicates singleness is, if anything, a higher calling. As with everything else in life, we should ask God for wisdom, James 1.5, concerning marriage. Following God's plan, whether that be marriage or singleness, will result in the productivity and joy that God desires for us. And as a matter of real interest, Jesus taught that in the final state, people will no longer marry, but be like the angels in heaven, Matthew 22, verse 30. That is, all of us will spend eternity as singles. And I think you find in the scriptures there's kind of a, a development. In the Old Testament, there is this, uh, there is this sense that being married is, is the norm. In the New Testament, it is presented as being advantageous for kingdom service to be single. 
But in the final state, the universal state of humanity in heaven, we will all be single. So I just wanted to add value to all who are single. Your heart to grow in Christ. Your heart to serve. Your heart to seek community. And your desire to give yourself to a cause that is greater than you are is such a blessing to the body of Christ, to the community of faith. And how you live in focus and on mission is a delight to the heart of God. Now, the second bridge that, that blesses us is that marriage is all about learning to give and learning to love. We all have expectations when we enter into marriage. And often those expectations are unspoken. And in fact, sometimes they're unrealistic. I remember being in grade 12 with a classmate. She was about the same age, but was dating a much older fellow. In fact, about 10 years older than she was. And that's quite a difference when you're 18. She could hardly wait to get married. And only months after high school graduation, she got married. She did her best to kind of get anchored in her marriage, but it was too fast, too challenging. And her aspirations were dashed after a number of years. And I say that to her credit, after a number of years. She hung in there for quite a while, but couldn't go any longer because of a series of things that happened in their marriage. She thought that marriage would bring about this amazing fulfillment of her life. And I want to say this morning that marriage is not about, this will fulfill my life. A great deal of pressure is exerted in marriage when I believe that my wife, my husband, and our marriage will be the fulfillment of who I am and all that I am seeking in life. We take off a great deal of pressure in life when we lower the expectation of fulfillment through our spouse. We could actually relax to give one another our best. Actually, as you look at some of the marriages in the Bible, you're hard-pressed to find that perfect marriage. Adam and Eve had their money honeymoon in paradise, which is even better than a honeymoon in Hawaii. But it all kind of went south from there with Adam and Eve. Abraham lied that Sarah was his sister twice. And he had a relationship with Hagar, the servant of Sarah. Isaac and Rebekah, you remember, had their squabbles over the favorite son in the family. He liked Esau and she liked Jacob the best. And a lot of issues came out of that. David was a disaster as a husband. Solomon was worse. When Job's life got hard, Mrs. Job told him to curse God and die. We do have this sense that when you get married, you just kind of sign the document, and from there on in, you live happily ever after, and she will fulfill my life, and he will be the answer to all of my dreams. But you don't ever see that portrayed in the scripture. That a couple gets married and after that everything is amazingly 
well looked after, and they live happily from there on in. Paul writes in Ephesians 5.25, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her, washed by the cleansing of God's word. And so the emphasis is not on, on getting, but on giving. The emphasis is not on being loved, but loving, sacrificially. And for the men who received this message in Paul's day, this was just completely out of step with society. This was opposite to what everybody else was teaching. Men held the power, men called the shots, and for the Apostle Paul to come along and say, Husbands, in your marriage relationship, I don't want you to exercise that dominance. I don't want you to exercise that power. I want you to think about your wife and I want you to think about fulfilling her needs. I want you to love your wife with a sacrificial love. I want you to do for her just as Christ did for the church. He gave himself for the church. That's your role as a husband. To give yourself. This is so different than thinking that my spouse needs to meet my needs. Now when a spouse refuses to live that way. In fact, when both spouses determine that they want to be fulfilled by the other, the distance between them grows and they become like light years apart. Those expectations are too hard to meet. But we'd like to be able to say, oh, I, I can fulfill my partner. I can make her dreams come true. I can be a huge blessing to her life. And I, I really don't want to downplay that. Because there is naturally some truth to it. We can bless our partner. We should bless our partner. They do bless us. And it does happen. But I was never meant to have my significance and my purpose because of my spouse. I can only find that in God. I can't expect my spouse to give me that depth of fulfillment. I will always be disappointed if that is my expectation. Jesus alone can fulfill the deepest longings of my heart. He alone can give me true significance and value as a person. So the bridge that is so valuable in building a strong marriage is learning to give and learning to love the person that God has blessed you with. And that requires sacrifice. This should be a heads up that we're in a classroom in our marriage. We are learning. We don't get it all at once. And that's okay. We learn and we grow and we struggle. But iron sharpens iron. And we hopefully get better at learning to love and learning to give. I seem to need a lot of practice in my life. Because sometimes I just don't get it. But I'm grateful for a spouse who is patient with me. And eventually, hopefully, I will get it. The caution is also to slow the pace when it comes to entering into marriage. Take time. And I'll say a little bit about that later. Sometimes there is this sense that I need to grab this guy. Wow, he's an amazing guy. I need to, I need to get on his list. Or 
that gal is just an amazing gal and, and I need to connect with her. Or she's going to be gone. Maybe it comes out of our own desperation. If I don't meet somebody soon, I'll always be alone. I'm a bit panicked about that. Nothing could be harder than being alone. But you know that's not true. Marrying the wrong kind of person is much harder than not being married at all. In June of 1971, just days before his 26-year-old son, Michael, got married, future U.S. President Ronald Reagan sent him the following letter of advice. Michael Reagan, adopted son. He said, Dear Mike, you've heard all the jokes that have been rousted around by all the unhappy marrieds and cynics. Now, in case no one has suggested it, there's another viewpoint. You have entered into the most meaningful relationship there is in all of human life. It can be whatever you decide to make it. There is an old law of physics that you can only get out of a thing as much as you put into it. It takes quite a man to remain attractive and to be loved by a woman who has heard him snore, seen him unshaven, tended him while he was sick, and washed his dirty underwear. Do that and keep her still feeling a warm glow and you will know some very beautiful music. Mike, you know better than most what an unhappy home is and what it can do to others. Now you have a chance to make it come out the way it should. There is no greater happiness for a man than approaching a door at the end of the, of the day knowing that someone on the other side of that door is waiting for the sound of his footsteps. Love, Dad. P.S. You'll never get in trouble if you say, I love you at least once a day. The third bridge is that marriage requires careful thought and prayer. Marriage requires careful thought and prayer. There's a verse in Proverbs, and Lorraine read it in the scripture passage this morning. We should probably read this once a month or more. Become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life come to piece, fall to pieces from the message translation. The New Living Translation says, Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and get in trouble. Solomon reminds us that there is a sort of osmosis that occurs with wisdom. You just have to place yourself in the right environment and you'll get wise. Get yourself next to a wise person and walk with them and journey with them through life and you'll learn some amazing things. You'll learn about character and you'll learn about appropriate responses. You'll come to see what is important and what's not very important. One lady said, my problem was instead of looking for Mr. Right, I settled for Mr. Right now. I should have taken more time, more time to contemplate, more time to ask the right questions. It's amazing how our emotions rule us in the matter of marriage. On a couple of occasions, I've had to say to couples, I don't think you're ready for marriage. I know that's hard for you to hear, but I want you to know that when I hear what you're saying, when I look at the pre-marriage testings, it all points to don't get married or wait or hold it, just pause, put it on pause and walk with one another for a while. 
Because this is a decision that will impact the rest of your life. I'm not being mean. I'm just trying to save you from a lot of pain. And I know at least in one of those instances, the couple mutually decided within months that they were even not even going to continue their relationship. They went their separate ways. Because down deep inside, they also knew it was, was not true, that they did not have a common base on which to build. Marriage requires careful thought and prayer. It's such a huge decision. Sometimes couples come and say, after just a few months of dating, we want to get married. And I want to say, take your time. Don't assume that you know that person yet. Oh no, we've talked about everything. Everything, I can't think of anything we haven't talked about. We are open books to one another. There is a lot to learn about our partner and about ourselves. After years of marriage, we are still learning. I want to say, do you know what death do us part means? It means dirty dishes and bounced checks and financial crisis. It means trying to find a job to provide for the family. It means communication glitches. It means career struggles and time pressures and mortgage payments and sickness. It means in-laws and outlaws and where to be on Christmas uh, this year. It means being up six times in the night for the little one who is sick. It means watching his hairline recede and his waistline advance. It means navigating family issues and emotional problems and aging and challenges that you can't even imagine right now that will face you. Have you thought about this and prayed about this? Have you considered what it really means? Can you really make this decision after three months of being together or six months? Researchers at Kansas State University found that there is a direct correlation between the amount of time a couple spends dating and their level of current marital satisfaction. Bottom line was that the more the couple took the time to ponder and pray and explore and really get to know the other person, the greater the result on the other side of the wedding vows. Proverbs 19.2 says, Enthusiasm without knowledge is no good. Haste makes mistakes. Generally, it works better for people to, to slow the pace, take the time before making the second most important decision of their lives. I know there are exceptions and there are wonderful exceptions, but generally it works better for a man and a woman to take their time and wisely use their time to really get to know one another and to seriously consider who they are and who this man or woman is that they're dating. And what a great chance to pray together. What a great chance to pray together and to ask God for his wisdom. Lord, is this the way we should go? And to be able to, to, to pray and think about making this very huge decision. And the cool thing is that we're not just learning about the other person, but we're learning about who we are. What are my values? What are my desires? What do I desire to be in our marriage? Do we ever think about what do I bring to the marriage? 
What will my partner need me to bring? Actually, my partner will need me to walk very closely with the Lord so that he or she can trust my character, can trust my loyalty, can trust my judgment. Nobody who wants to, to keep on living wakes up one morning and, and, and suddenly decides, I think I'll climb Mount Everest today. Such a monumental assault requires training and preparation and gear, lots of gear. In fact, experts suggest that those who climb Mount Everest should approach it with no fewer than three separate pairs of boots, double plastic climbing boots, fully insulated over boots, light hiking boots, and you need uh, socks, wool socks, pile socks, synthetic socks, lots of socks, certain tools, an axe, ice axe, a rappel device, a climbing harness. To stay warm, you'll need plenty of good underwear, a pile jacket, pile pants, down pants, and you'll need a baseball cap or some kind of sun hat or at least a visor uh, and toilet paper. Please don't forget the toilet paper. You'll need that as well. Climbing Everest is a big deal. You need to be prepared. And the same is true for other areas in our lives, and you see the point. Take marriage, for example. Just as you wouldn't try to scale a mountain without making sure you have what you need, don't enter into the most important relationship of your life without doing the hard work of preparation. And then the fourth bridge is that marriage works best in common territory. You've often heard the expression that opposites attract. And I think that's, a, that's true. There is that initial response would, that just lights up a person when they see somebody else and they say how different they are, how unique they are, different than you are yourself. And there's an attraction. But Neil Warren, an author, has written on the subject of finding the love of your life. And he has a comment he says, every similarity in a couple who gets married is like money in the bank and increases the odds of a successful marriage. Every similarity in a couple who gets married is like money in the bank and increases the odds of a successful marriage. For those getting married in the coming years, this would be a great assessment gauge. What do we share in common? For those of us who are married, what can we do more of that we enjoy doing together? I never expected that Marg and I would enjoy the same interest in sports, at least watching sports. We have grown in that area. She follows every NHL playoff game more than I do. She watches as much CFL football as I do. She'll tell me they traded so-and-so today. I said, who? You know, so-and-so. She knows precisely what is happening. We are avid news watchers. She's right with me when we check the paper. We got to do the CTV news. We got to do the CBC news. She reads the news on her iPad and prays for the situations around the world. I love that about having a commonality in some of the things that we enjoy. She is not, however, inclined to watch much golf on TV. But I am working on her in that. It's just not fast enough for her. It's too boring for her. The most important part of common territory is our spiritual journey. 
The Bible speaks in general terms about us being unequally yoked. It was a farm reference, an agricultural reference, of putting a couple of oxen together and having them plow the field. But in this case, one oxen wants to go this way and the other oxen wants to go that way. And, and there's nothing but chaos and disorder. When you are yoked together, you both agree that these are the spiritual values that we hold in moving together, in knowing God and in serving Him. This is not a casual commitment or we just hope for the best. It deserves a lot of thought and a lot of prayer. And if you're working through that in your marriage where one is pulling this way and the other is pulling this way, it takes a lot of wisdom. It takes a lot of wisdom. Every situation is unique. But I say to you, be patient. Try to remember that God loves your spouse even more than you do. He may have your spouse on a journey that you know nothing about. Walk with Christ. Don't put that on yourself to be perfect. Live your life out of the fullness of God in you. Be authentic. You can share your concerns with your, your spouse. You can reveal your personal weaknesses. You can be transparent. Stay balanced and wise as you pray and come alongside of one another. A common territory is, the, is an important bridge in building a strong marriage. Where can we grow together? How can we spend time together? What common interests do we share in, 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 in common? And serving Christ together is so valuable in building a strong marriage. I'm so grateful for a partner in, in ministry that has blessed my life over and over again. Mark has been right there with me through all the years of ministry, never missed a step, and what a joy to have our ministry in common. So bridges to strengthening our marriage. Singleness and marriage, just to say it, are on the same level. They are both normative for living forth our mission. Secondly, the bridge of learning, to give and learning to love. What can I bring to the marriage? And thirdly, the bridge of careful thought and prayer, preparation. Who am I? What are my values? And what am I looking for in my partner? And what are the non-negotiables? And finally, the bridge of common territory. How do we build upon our love for life and our common interests in life? How do we build upon that?